Oh, it's true, isn't it? The stories, uh, it's funny in the nurseries when you go in and, and uh, you know, you've got the Noah's Ark and it's the cute little precious moment type things. And, and we're going to look at, at uh, Noah today and the flood and all of that. I thought, you know, got to love this guy. He is hilarious and just has a way of uh, making us laugh, right? So let me start by just simply asking you a question. Do you remember that moment when you got that new thing and the feeling you got? We like new, don't we? Maybe it was a car. Maybe it wasn't like a brand new car, but it was a newer car. It was new to you. You remember when you got in that and, you know what I'm doing, right? That new car smell, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. How in the world do dealerships do that, even on the used cars? You know, you get in there, wow. Maybe it's just because it doesn't smell anything like your car, right? But that new car smell, the shine on it, the, you know, the driving is just smooth and quiet and, and you get great gas mileage and you just get that feeling like, man, this is good. This is, this is excellent. This is wonderful, right? Or maybe it was when you went shopping and you saw that shirt and you're like, oh, wow, that, that would look good on me. Really good on me. And you grab it and you buy it. You know how it is when you buy a new shirt, you don't wash it before you wear it? Maybe I'm the only one that does that. Be- why do we do that? Because it's crisp and the collar's wonderful and it, there's no wrinkles in it at all. I mean, it's good and you put it on and it fits perfect and you look good and you can't wait to go to that event and you wear that and you look good. And then you run it through the washer. Now, do you remember the feeling or... Do you remember the moment that you had that feeling? When you're sitting in that new, newer car that ain't so new, newer anymore. And it dawns on you, my car's not new anymore. Maybe it's like, too many McDonald's bags have been sitting in the back seat for too long, right? And maybe the kids have been back there doing things that you've told them not to do, but they do it anyways, and you're like, it just don't smell right in here anymore. Come on, you guys have kids, right? Or maybe you're the guilty one, I don't know. But you know, you're in that car and you're like, this ain't new anymore. You drive down the road and it rumbles or it pulls to the right or to the left. The tires are bald. Maybe the radio's not working quite right. The windshield wipers aren't quite clean. And you just get that sense like, ah, this isn't good anymore. Maybe it's not quite bad, but it's just not like a new car. Or you run that shirt through the washing machine and it comes out and you ain't ever getting the wrinkles out of it again. And fit you? No, it don't fit you anymore. What was good is no longer good. I kind of think that's how God felt in the days of Noah. You know, we're not too far away from creation. And God created all this, and He created the universe and the world, and He created man and, and, and everything that's in it, and the world, and He says, it is good. It's good. I kind of think that's how God... But from Genesis chapter 1, where everything is good, to Genesis chapter 6, look what He says. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil. Only evil 
in the time. The Lord regretted that he had made... Really? The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart... You know, God has a heart. His heart was deeply troubled. Deeply troubled. Wow. All that thought, all that design, all that detail. I mean, talk about detail. Have you studied the human body? The eyeball, just take the eyeball or the brain. And the way we function and the way we work and our thought process and our conscience and our spirit. And the detail that God went. And God saw all of this and he said, this is good. It's good. I think this might be one of the most disturbing, one of the most troubling, the saddest text in all the Bible. That God regretted that he made us. God said it is good. And now he's looking at his creation, not long after creation. And he says, it's not so good. As a matter of fact, it's bad. I think it's kind of like a parent who looks a child in the eye. And they are so disappointed, so just torn by the behavior of this child. So just, I'm I'm done with it. And they look this child in the eye and they say, I wish you were never born. (laughs) Right? Nobody would ever say that to their child. Well, some have. That's kind of what God does. He looks at us and he says, I wish I'd never made you. I think the story of Noah and the flood really emphasizes this in all of Scripture, that sin is serious. It's serious. It's life-changing. There's a, there's a slide there. You'll have to follow me, Michelle. I know. You're busy on your phone. You've got things to take care of. Follow me. Next slide. There you go. She's had COVID, so I'm going to forgive her today. She, she doesn't have it now, though. Don't worry. Sin is serious. But what is sin? You ever thought of, what is sin? I mean, sometimes we have this list and we're like, okay, if I do this and I do that and I do this and that, but at the heart, what it really is, what was so bad about humanity? What happened to humanity that got so bad that God looks down and he says, I regret that I made you? What is sin? I think at the truest heart and form of sin, if you want to define it, it's idolatry. Sin is idolatry. A.W. Tozer said this about idolatry. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. That's idolatry. 
And about that moment, everyone in the room goes, oh. Maybe I'm an idolater. (laughs) Maybe there's sin in my life. Maybe I have thoughts about God that are unworthy of him because I don't believe in him. I don't think he cares. Sin has this cascading effect in our life. Sin has this cascading effect where we don't revere him with our hearts. We don't idolize God. We don't lift God up to the place where God belongs above all other things in our life. And we, we, we turn to other things. And so we don't revere God in our heart. And because we don't revere God, we don't love God. And when we don't love God, we won't obey God. We don't revere him. We don't, we don't, uh, you know, love him. And so because we don't revere him and we don't love him, we don't obey him. And that's sin. But it also cascades to our relationships. It's not just our relationship with God, but we also sin against each other. Think about this. We were created, that good creation. God looked down and he saw man and he created us in his own image. If you don't revere the creator, you're not going to revere the image of the creator. You're not going to look in the person next to you. You're only going to judge them and see them. You're not going to look at them and see the image of God dying to come out. It's been squashed down from sin. Hidden, marred. But in every one of us, in every human being, everyone, Republican, Democrat, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. I'm just saying those names because those are the things that seem to be burning everyone's hair off. There's an image in every person, no matter how bad they are, how far away from God they are, the image of, and if I don't revere the creator, if I don't love the creator, then I will not revere and love the image of the creator, which is you. It becomes very difficult to love the other when I don't love God. First John talked, Jesus talked about this. He said there's two commands, two of the greatest commands. Love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And they go together. Later, John in 1 John would say, you can't say you love your brother and hate God, and you can't say you love God and hate your brother. It doesn't work. These two things are connected. This is the sin that happened in the world. In Genesis, it says the world had become so violent, so sinful, so wicked. What did that look like? Maybe a little bit like today. Just open up Facebook and social media and you'll see. Violence. You say, well, people aren't reaching through the phone and punching people. No, but words can be violent. You can destroy someone with your words. Violence comes because we don't revere our creator and we don't love one another. And the world was burning down. In those days, the days of Noah, things got really 
bad. Things got so bad. Sin was wrecking God's creation. And it was being burned to the ground by us. And God was done. He said, I'm finished. I, I, I can't. I, I look down and I see and I'm so disheartened that I wish I'd never made them. Sin is a serious thing because sin wrecks lives. Sin wrecks the good life that God intended for all of us to have. But there was one man who found favor, Noah. God decided he was going to wipe all of creation out. He, he was going to just be done with it. But he looked down and he saw one man. And whatever that righteousness looked like, this was before Abraham. Abraham was the father of faith. He believed in God and had faith and was considered him as righteous. I'm not sure what that looks I think it simply means that Noah revered God. He elevated God to a place where God deserved in his life. And God looked down at Noah and he says, there is a righteous man. And so he decides, he, said, he talks to Noah. And I'll give you a little bit of the background. Most of us here, if you're online, if you've never heard the story of the flood, <coughs> I'll try to just quick through it. Noah is minding his own business out in the desert in this wicked land. He's the only righteous man in the land. God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I'm going to wipe out the world by a flood. Here's what I want you to do, Noah. I know you're in the desert. I know it hasn't rained for years, but I want you to go build a boat. I want you to build such a big boat that you're going to put you and your family in it, and you're going to take two of every animal that I lead to you, air-breathing animal on the land. You're going to bring them into that boat, and then it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. The floods are going to come. I'm going to wipe out the earth, but I'm going to save you. So Noah believed God, and he started building this boat. And Noah's out there building this ark. Of course, people are making fun of him. I mean, wouldn't you, out in the dead, middle of the desert, building a giant boat? takes him years and years and years you know, to build this thing. And he's building this boat, and people are sneering at him, and they're making fun of him. And, and, uh, but Noah built the boat. And about the time he was done with the boat, the clouds rolled in. You imagine how thick the clouds and how dark and black the clouds would have to be for 40 days, to hold 40 days and 40 nights of rain. So the clouds roll in, it starts raining, and it rains 40 days and 40 nights, and the floods start coming, and Noah and his family and the animals are saved, but everything else is wiped out. A hundred and fifty days the water remained on the earth. That's almost six months. The water remained. Have any of you ever been to a floodplain after a flood and seen the devastation of just six or seven feet of water does to a community, the plant life, the animal life, the homes? It's just, it, it kind of looks like a tornado just ripped through and it just levels everything. It's just, it's nasty. 150 days the water remained on the earth. And everything was destroyed except Noah and his family. When you look at the flood story, I think the flood was an undoing of the first creation. Think about it with me for a moment. Day 
Uh, let's start with, um, yeah, let's start with day one and four. If you go back into Genesis 1 and you read the story of the creation story, day one and day four have to do with light. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he created the sun, the sun came, and there was light over there. Day one and four were sort of undone with the flood because the clouds rolled in and the darkness rolled in and the light was removed from the earth. Undoing of day one and four. And then in day two, the distinction between the waters that are below and the waters that are above are wiped out. You can no longer tell the sky from the water they were on. Day three, God undid the day. This is the day that the ground disappeared. God created the ground and land was separated from water. On day three, the dry ground disappears. On day five and day six, the plant and animal life were destroyed. God undid creation from day five and six. And then day seven. Now it's getting real interesting. How do you undo the Sabbath? Well, what was the Sabbath? On the seventh day, God looked around. He saw all that he had created, said it was good. And then it said God rested. God rested. And I suggest to you that day seven was also undone. For God was no longer at rest, but God declared war on the earth. The sin had gotten so bad that God came out of his rest, took up his warrior's bow, if you will, and went to war with his creation. And he wiped it out. He undid it. The floodwaters have done their work. God's wrath has been poured out upon all living things. The Spirit of God now is about to do something that He did at the first creation after there was just this formless void. It says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He brooded over the waters. And the chaos and the formlessness, the, the void started to take shape and started to come into something that was recognizable. And we read in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, But God remembered Noah while he was on that ark, and all the animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind, a ruach, if you will. The Hebrew word for spirit. It's the same word that's used back in Genesis 1 that says God's ruach over the waters. God sent this spirit wind over the earth and the waters receded. It's important. We'll get to that here in a moment. These waters were tamed. So here's Noah, the 
Spirit of God has come back to earth and the waters are receding and God makes a covenant with Noah. God makes a covenant with Noah. I think I have a slide there. No. Yes. We're going right into it. Don't look at me. I wrote them. Let's start in verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 8. Then God said to Noah, so here's what happened. The waters have receded. You know the story. Noah opens up. He decides, is it time to come out? He sends a bird out. He comes back with nothing. He sends it out again. He comes back with an olive branch. He's like, oh, this is good. Life is beginning to take shape again on the earth. And then he sends him, and he never comes back, right? It's kind of like, oh, okay, this is time. He, He would rather be out there than here. So the waters have receded, and the first thing Noah does when he comes off the ark is he builds an altar and he worships God. And God sees this, and God sees the destruction that the flood had been. God sees the results of his wrath. And here's what God does. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Next verse. And with every living creature that was with you. This is not just a covenant with Noah. It's a covenant with all of creation. The birds, the livestock, and the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you. Every living creature on earth. Next verse. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Biblical covenants are an interesting thing. They, uh, they take many different shapes and forms, but this one particularly and others, covenants were these agreements between two parties to enter into a relationship, and typically there would be responsibilities of both parties. One person would have to keep a certain expectation and the other person that, and as long as they kept those, then there would be blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. But not this covenant. God says, Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to enter into a relationship with you. I'm going to make a promise with you. But listen, you don't have to do a thing. You don't have to be good. You don't have to, like, not sin. It's not dependent upon you. I am going to make a covenant with you, a one-sided covenant, and get this, that's simply dependent upon my long-suffering mercy. I have seen what my wrath can do, and I am moved to never do it again. It's interesting. This covenant is unique, one-sided. God promises all of creation that he will never destroy it like this again. God's covenant with creation. But did you notice something else? The flood and the covenant do nothing about the wickedness of man's heart. I find this interesting. And and follow me. Just follow me with this. God makes a covenant 
one-sided with Noah and all creation says, you don't have to do anything. This is just something I'm going to do. But God's covenant and even the flood does nothing to deal with the sin or the issue for the reason they got there in the first place. This is interesting. It's very interesting. I think it's almost like God is saying, you know what? I know you're going to let me down. I know you're human. I know you're sinful. I know that, that you're going to destroy your marriages. You're going to destroy your relationships. You're going to destroy neighborhoods and nations and communities. You, I know that sin is going to run rampant again, but I promise I'll never wipe out the earth again. And you're like, wow. Flood and covenant do nothing about our sinfulness. Not like other covenants. When he makes a covenant with, with Moses, there are certain things. There's, a, there's ten commandments and there's all these things that you have to do to stay in the covenant. But God promises mercy to the world. Mercy. Long-suffering. Forbearance. This is who God is. This is our God. Even though we are the way that we are, God still covenants with us. Does that mean anything to you? He's a good God. A good God. You say, yeah, but he killed all those people. Well, you're looking at it wrong. He's a God of second chances. He's a God who is full of mercy, who withholds his wrath for a reason. Verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that it is with you for all future generations. Now here's the key verse. Watch this. I have set my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now I know what you're saying. Yeah, you mean the rainbow. Some of your versions say rainbow, right? Yes, it's the rainbow. But the word, the Hebrew word that's used for bow, some versions don't say rainbow. God says like this version in the ESV, the English Standard Version, it says, I have set my bow in the clouds. Do you remember how God got to the flood? Do you remember how God got to the destruction of the world? God came out of his, of his rest and he went to war with his creation. In that day... The most powerful weapon of, the, of war was a bow. A bow and arrow. As a matter of fact, if you go and look at some ancient art, you'll find Neo-Assyrian uh, Neo, uh, and Persian artwork where their gods, their deities are in the skies and they have bows drawn, pointed to the earth. Because they're gods of wrath. And judgment. 
And here's God looking at a sinful people and he's saying, I promise I'm going to hang my bow undrawn and never wage war against you again. This is good news. It's amazing news. Even in some Old Testament texts, in Zechariah chapter 9, it depicts the Lord as having a bow drawn as a symbol of judgment. And here God gives Noah and us this sign. He hangs his bow in the clouds. So every time God sees this bow, rainbow, or he see, or you and I see this bow, know this, God has hung his bow weapon of war against us. God is withheld, withholding His wrath on us because He loves us. And when God sees that and we see it, we can know it's a symbol of God's mercy and His grace. So what does that mean to me? Well, I think the first thing is this. We need to understand that sin wrecks our lives. That's how we got here in the first place. Sin wrecks our lives. It's serious. But sin, I think, is hard for us in America today to truly grasp and understand. I was reading, <clears throat> studying, and here's what this man named um, Gerhard Ford said. He says, we apparently are no longer sinners. He's talking about us today in our culture. But rather victims, oppressed by sinister victimizers who we relentlessly seek to track down and accuse. Sounds like people on Facebook. We no longer live in a guild culture, listen, but have been thrown into meaningless. We are on a track to make everything meaningless. It doesn't mean if anything if I do this. It doesn't mean anything if I do that. It doesn't mean anything if I treat you this way. It's, everything's meaningless. It all just comes out in the end. And so we relieve ourselves of the guilt because it's meaningless. So we are told, he said, guilt puts the blame on us sinners, but who is responsible for meaningless? Since we are victims and not really sinners, what we need is affirmation and support and so on. Sin brought the destruction because sin is serious. I think the second thing that we need to understand is this, that we take for granted the undrawn bow that God hangs in the clouds for us. We take it for granted. Say, well, what do you mean by that? I see a rainbow. I take wonderful pictures. I love them. And I saw a double rainbow, so we're double blessed. I think we take it for granted. You remember the undoing of creation? The flood story reaches back into the creation story and it undoes it. But I think the creation story also reaches forward. I think it reaches forward. 
And the reason I think that we take it for granted is that we don't realize that right now, in this moment in time, after God makes this covenant with Noah, listen to me, God stands back and hangs his bow and says, I will no longer unleash my wrath on people. Why? Because God is now entering into a period and a time of restoration and salvation. This is the time. This is the moment. This is when we should not take for granted the undrawn bow. Because one day, the bow will not be undrawn. But right now, we're in a period and a time of salvation. Of to be renewed. To be made new. In, in Revelations chapter 21, verse, tw- verse 1, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And look, there was no, more, no longer any sea. We know from the biblical text that the sea represented chaos, the sea represented evil and the unknown and sinfulness. But now, in this period of time, God is providing a way. And in the end, ultimately, these things will not have the final say over us. God is making a way. There is one who makes all things new. Verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older order of things has passed away. The only thing that God wants to wipe away is your tears and your pain and death. Look at that. Your crying. He no longer wants to wipe away mankind, but His mercy and His love makes a way for us now to be renewed. God finally did something about the sin problem. God took Jesus, God in the flesh, and all sin was placed upon Him, and the wrath of God that has been held back from us has now been placed upon Him. And on the cross, sin This is how serious sin is. When you look at sin from the viewpoint of the cross, you realize how serious. All of this sin was placed upon Jesus and the wrath of God was poured out upon His flesh instead of ours. And for those of us who will believe, those of us who will follow, those of us who will look to Jesus as the one, we realize that God's covenant with Noah is simply a foretaste of this final act of restoration. God promises us all that the sea and the chaos and the sin will be removed. Sin wrecks your life. Jesus restores it. Jesus restores it. Our worship team is going to come and close us out with a song. There is one who walks through the fire and the flood. There is one who has taken all of our sin and all of the wrath of God upon that for that sin. Hello.
And he has taken that for us. And this time, God has hung his bow. Why? So that Jesus can come and do his work. Now is the time to be restored. Now is the time to be saved. Now is the time to be renewed and redeemed. For the image of God to begin to come out of you again. You say, how's that? Well, you put your faith in the one whose wrath, whose God's wrath has been poured out upon. In his body, he died, but he was resurrected. And what that means for us is you can trust him. You can believe in him. You can put your hope in him today. We're going to sing a song. And would you stand with me as we close our service today? If you one. want to give your heart and life to this person, this one who makes all things new, Jesus, you can do that today. Simply invite him in. Admit that you're a sinner, right? And say, I need you, Jesus. For God's wrath has been poured out on you and you are the way through the water. One, two, three.